This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Radio family, good morning. The weekend returns and so does our public affairs program welcoming you once again to the weekend edition of Community Focus. Heard every weekend here on our Odyssey stations, we continue in great conversation with members of our community focus family. And this gentleman is starting to become a regular. I may have to start. No, I shouldn't say that. Never mind, Victor. Don't, don't, <laughs> won't even go there. I was going to say, I need to put you on the payroll. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. But, uh, but no, no, no. All humor aside, it is always good to have you on this program, my friend. You serve as the Chief Health Equity Officer and the Deputy Secretary for Health Equity with the Department of Health and Human Services. And I just, want to again thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the wonderful and much needed information that you have shared with us really uh, since the beginning of, of 2022. And, and in fact, I think I first had you on the latter part of even 2021. We've been talking about everything that relates to uh, COVID-19 from boosters to testing to vaccines for kids and the Omicron variant, but today we are actually going to engage in something that is near and dear to you and something that I really appreciate you shining the spotlight on, and not just during the month of February, which many of us know is Black History Month, but every day is a day to have these type of conversations, and it's on the topic of mental health. So, again, thank you so much. How have you been? I am doing well. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you. As Let's just go ahead and just get things started. Sure. Basically, when, when we talk about mental health, I don't know if you've ever been asked this question, but can you give like a layman's term or definition of it as opposed to perhaps with you being in the profession that you in, are in, rather, a clinical definition of mental health? Sure. And, you know, first of all, I think I would say I, I tend to try to frame it more in terms of mental wellness. I like that. Uh, because I think they're both they're both preventive things that we can do right. um, in addition to, to things that we can do to, to to really deal with any stresses that we're facing. So when I think about mental health, you know, again, I frame it as mental wellness. I think about uh, all the things that we do to keep ourselves mentally healthy. We often mm-hmm. think of the things that we do to keep ourselves physically healthy, exercise, exactly. diet, but we don't think about the things that we can do to keep ourselves mentally healthy, which includes uh, taking time to really focus on our own mental wellness. It, it includes uh, creating space for ourselves, giving ourselves grace uh, when we are stressed and when we 
face the challenges that uh, that so many of us face um, every day, and then also doing the things that we need to do uh, to really mitigate the challenges that we're facing that impact our, our mental well-being. Uh, and that includes seeking help um, and talking to someone when we are feeling stressed or when we uh, feel like the, the stresses of the day are more than we can, can, uh, can really deal with uh, by ourselves. Excellent, and I appreciate you sharing that, Victor. Now, for you, especially as the Chief Health Equity Officer, have you seen either an increase, whether it is our mental health or our mental wellness, prior to COVID, during COVID, and where we are post-COVID? So um, I would I would probably talk about that in a couple of different ways. Sure. One is, um, first of all, we have seen um, an increase in anxiety and depression. Uh, there's some stats that say there's been as much of a threefold, as much as a threefold increase uh, in people uh, reporting uh, symptoms of depression and anxiety uh, mm-hmm. since the pan- pandemic started. And that's due in large part to a lot of the uncertainty, the fear, a lot of the social isolation that we experienced, uh, particularly early on in the pandemic. So right. uh, that has been something that we have been uh, watching and trying to mitigate as we are moving forward in the pandemic. I think one of the things that's more alarming to me, though, is a, a lot of the work that I do is is really in the suicide uh, awareness space. And, right. you know, one of the things I always tell people about suicide is that when we talk about suicide, it is it is not in and of itself a disease. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's not a mental disease. Suicide is really the worst possible outcome of the culmination of a lot of very complex issues, which often includes... Uh, living with mental health challenges. Right. And so one of the things that I am keenly uh, aware of and have been focused in on for the past several years is the rising rate of suicide, particularly in the black community. And I think, sure. you know, especially this being Black History Month, um, it is something that's front of mind to a lot of people. Uh, and that's one of the things that I, I really want to, to bring to the forefront and, and, and make sure that it is uh, front of mind to 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 the the, the listening audience uh, of this radio station 
that we are seeing, especially among black youth, an, mm-hmm. an uptick in suicide attempts and, um, and youth that are dying by suicide. We, because there's a lag time in suicide data, we don't really have current stats on where the suicide rate is today. Right. But the one thing that we do know is that um, studies show that uh, suicide attempts between, between 1991 and 2017 uh, rose by about 73% for adolescent uh, black boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, to me, is something that is, is extremely alarming and something I think that we all need to, to pay attention to because we do know there's nothing in this pandemic uh, that would help uh, to drive down that rate. And if anything, it's, it's going to increase the stressor that our young people are facing. And, Victor, that is why I so appreciate you bringing the knowledge to our public affairs program, because getting back to a word that you use, complexity, I don't think I can think of a better word to describe it, because mental wellness and our mental health has always had a face, if you will. But I think for us as the general public, and and I'm pretty sure with what I'm about to share, speaking of young ones, and particularly young ones of color, There was recently two individuals, I'm going to mention their names. One was actually the son of actress Regina King, Ian Alexander Jr., who took his life. And then, of course, the big shock, I think, or the equal shock, was this beautiful young lady by the name of Chesley Christ, who was recently crowned uh, Miss USA, I do believe. And, And so when... The headlines of those two beautiful young individuals who just really seem to have, as the expression goes, everything going for them in life, and yet they're no longer here with us. And just having that conversation and that discussion, because I can't even begin to imagine, particularly being a a parent, having to lose your child in such a fashion. I know you're a parent. You've got two wonderful boys that you love dearly and you're concerned about on, on a daily basis. Can you speak on, on this from not only from a health perspective, but particularly from a parental perspective as a parent? Yeah, and I, I think the way you framed it, um, that there has always been a faith uh, to mental health and, and the face to suicide, I think that's accurate because we, we often, when we think about suicide, the face that we assign to it is not is not a person of color. Exactly. We think about suicide, and I was raised to believe that suicide was a white people problem. It's mm-hmm. not that people in the black community had to be concerned exactly. about. But um, you know, the, the reality is that suicides by black people have increased by 30% over the past decade. Yeah. So it is something that is very real and very present with us, and I think when we think about uh, the death of Chesley Christ and and what uh, Regina King and her family have gone through, it resonates with us differently because it does uh, it does put a different a different face on that. And when I talked earlier about um, suicide being the, the the culmination of a lot of very complex issues, what that also says is that we have opportunities to intervene. If it's if it's a culmination of a lot of very complex things. That means that there are opportunities to intervene before a person reaches that point of suicidality. And I think part of our charge is to really think more about uh, the challenges that we face, particularly mm-hmm. people of color. Right. And then how can we lean more into that space so that we don't have more outcomes like, like those outcomes that we've seen 
recently. When I think about my my boys, and I actually have three boys. Okay. I have two boys and a man. My, my <laughs> oldest son is, uh, is 29 years old. Wow. So I, I had no idea. Victor, you're only 21. How's that possible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I must have started really young. I know. <laughs> but the, um, the, um, but when I think about the challenges that, uh, particularly black males, but mm-hmm. but all people of color face in this in this country, uh, it adds to those very complex issues that people have to navigate. Right. And because of that, there's added pressure. I think there should be added pressure upon upon us um, to really make sure that we're checking in with our young people to make sure they're okay. Absolutely. To give them space right. uh, to be vulnerable, to talk about their feelings. One of the challenges I think that that we all face in the black community is that we have um, really been socialized not to talk about our feelings. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like a lot of black people, I was raised in a household where I was told what, what happens in this house stays in this house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, I heard my parents talk about things like uh, you know we are very resilient people. We survive slavery, we can survive anything. And what that says oftentimes to a young person is you don't have the right to to experience depression or anxiety because of what uh, what was done for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and young people don't know what to do with that, especially when we've seen so much of the things play out um, in the media yeah. over the past couple of years around the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna exactly. Taylor and so many others. Right that sends a constant message to our young people that you are not valued in the same way that other people are. Mm-hmm. And we're asking young people to, 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 to socialize all of that, to make sense of all of that. And if we don't provide a safe space for them to be vulnerable, to acknowledge their fears and acknowledge uh, when they feel like uh, they don't, they, they struggle to find reasons to live, uh, then we are not doing what we need to do to protect our young people. And that is one of the things that is, is, is front of mind to me. Very true, Victor. And, and I will add to, to that comment as well. It makes me think, too, that, and, and of course, with, with you being a black male, I'm pretty sure growing up as well, many boys, particularly boys of color, were told, you, you know, you're, you're a sissy if you cry, if, if you show emotion. You're not supposed to do that. You know, man up. Be tough about it and, and basically just get over it and move on. But but how do you do that when you have those conflicting emotions and you don't yeah. know, like you said, what to do? Right. And let me let me un- unravel something else you just said in that, because you're right. Um, I heard the same things growing up. You know, you're, you're a sissy if you if you cry, if what? you if you uh, show vulnerability. What that also does is it sends a message to our young people who may identify as LGBTQ, that there's something wrong with them. Um, and that's another issue that we have to overcome. I was, I was raised the son of a preacher. I was socialized in the black church. And while the black church has always been the gateway to the black community, it's been where we've gone for our social services, it's been where we've gone for our counseling, uh, but it's also a place that has really signaled to the outside community what is important to our community. Uh, a lot of the work I do now is working with faith-based organizations and trying to get faith-based organizations to also be a voice in in, in sounding the alarm about the impact of mental health challenges and, and suicide uh, among our young people. Um, so I, I think that we have opportunities um, to really uh, change the trajectory of suicide and, and, and mental health challenges in our community, but 
we don't have time to waste. It is something that we have to take seriously and we really have to take action now. Absolutely, Victor, and it's one of those important conversations that need to take place. Well, thank you for this engaging conversation. The first half of our public affairs program, I have more questions for you, Victor, and I know you'll stick around with me for the second half of the program. So thank you very much, and welcome back, family. It is good to hear your voice today. And thank you, Radio Family, for your great company. Indeed, we will take a break, and we will have more of the weekend edition of Community Focus. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to the weekend edition of Community Focus, heard on our Odyssey stations. Great company, as always, Radio Family. Thank you so much for tuning in every weekend to hear great conversation with members of our Community Focus family. And this weekend, again, is no different. He's the Chief Health Equity Officer and Deputy Secretary for Health Equity of the Department of Health and Human Services. Definitely a member of our Community Focus family. And Victor Armstrong, our topic of discussion, and I like how you prefaced this earlier, Victor, even though we're talking about mental health, we also want to address it as mental wellness. As we do continue our conversation here on the weekend edition of Community Focus, I wanted to ask you this question to to start uh, this portion of the program. Where can one go to find help or to find therapy? Are there different kinds that are available? There are, and throughout North Carolina, we have every every community has access to um, our local managed care organizations, and you can find, if you don't know where they are, you can find them at our uh, DHHS website. Um, but for people who either um, um, are recipients of Medicaid or don't have um, private insurance, they provide resources to address uh, mental health needs, and so you can always find those. You can also go to your um, your insurance carrier if you do have insurance to find out what resources are available for you uh, to, to address mental health issues. But there are also um, public sites you can go to. You can you can always access uh, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is not just about suicide. It is for anyone who's experiencing mental health challenges or, or have mental health issues that they want to talk about. And something like ninety some ninety percent or more of the calls that come into the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline are really not about suicide. It's about people who just need an outlet, someone to talk to, right, exactly. um, trying to access um, just, just a, a, a another person that they can connect with. And that number is 1-800, uh, I'm sorry, 1-888-273-8255. That's, I'm sorry. It is 1-800-273-8255 or 1-800-273-TALK. Okay. And um, we also, uh, when you call that number, you do get a local uh, North Carolina person here. Um, so Absolutely. that's a resource. Uh, you can also go to uh, places like uh, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, NAMI, N-A-M-I. They have a website. They have resources there. There are groups like the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, there are um, uh, uh, a lot of local groups in the community that will offer outreach, things like, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, if you are experiencing uh, addictions challenges. So there are a lot of resources out there that people can reach out to if they're experiencing um, um, a a need to to have conversation with someone. Excellent. And in addition, uh, Victor, to the different kinds of therapy that you just mentioned, is it also possible that when it comes to conditions of mental health, that they can also be treated with a type of medication, of course, doctor approved? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, and that's a very important point because um, p- 
people need to understand that uh, mental health challenges oftentimes are, are the result of a chemical imbalance. Right. It is a medical condition that can oftentimes be treated medically, and the medications are, uh, are safe and effective. There are often side effects of the medication that, that people don't like, and so for that reason, a lot of people choose not to take medications. Mm-hmm. But I say, like I would say about people who are taking medication for heart conditions or diabetes or other things, there are often side effects, but the benefits of taking the medication will, will outweigh uh, the impact of not taking the medication. Uh, but those things you can talk with your, um, your therapist about, well, your, your psychiatrist, or your primary care provider. For a lot of people who don't want to reach out to a psychiatrist or therapist, mm-hmm. uh, they can start with their primary care provider. And primary care providers are very good at treating uh, things like anxiety or depression or even if they're uh, children experiencing um, ADHD, things like that. And I think that, you know, that's extremely important uh, because as we were talking earlier about um, black kids, um, oftentimes what we find is that black kids are less likely to receive treatment for things like depression or anxiety uh, than our white counterparts are. And because of that, a lot of their behaviors are then um, viewed or characterized as uh, really defiant behavior or um, some some type of um, uh, abhorrent behavior that that ends up causing them to end up in the just in the juvenile justice system, and that's where they receive their treatment, and that's not going to be conducive to good outcomes. Um, you know, case in point, when you when you think about even the makeup of our juvenile justice system and our public foster care system. Um, black kids make up 45% of the kids in public foster care and 40% of the kids in uh, our juvenile justice system. And in large part, it is as, as a result of untreated mental health challenges. And thank you for sharing that, Victor, because in addition to what you, you just mentioned and you're sharing wonderful information with our radio family, I was thinking, too, and, and getting back for, let's say, for a person who may not feel uh, very comfortable talking to their health care provider or to someone who is medically trained in, in this type of work, likely support can come from a support group, perhaps mm-hmm. having the conversation with individuals that if they're not going to going through a similar situation themselves, they may know of someone whether it's a family member or, or a friend. So where can one go to possibly find a support group to, to get support and help from that standpoint? Yeah, again, I would, I would name some of the same resources as, uh, as I did before. Right. You, there's also on our DHHS website, we have a mental health toolkit. In that mental health toolkit, there are a lot of resources that people can reach out to, whether you're experiencing domestic violence, Mm -hmm. uh, whether you need addictions groups, uh, whether you're looking for support groups that are uh, designed to support families. NAMI, um, in and of itself, is is really a family support group. So there there are groups out there that you can reach out to um, to to have someone that that understands your experience Mm -hmm. and can talk to you about it. But one of the things I also encourage people to do is to create space in their social networks and their families uh, to create safe space to have these kinds of conversations. When I, when I talk with, um, with couples, um, one of the things I always try to, to stress is that because men and black men in particular are socialized uh, to, to hold their feelings in, to not to appear vulnerable, um, it is extremely important that within relationships you create space for your spouse to be vulnerable, to say, uh, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling anxious, so I just don't feel right. Yeah. 
and not to judge and not to, to ridicule them for those feelings, but to really embrace those feelings and to try to encourage them to embrace those feelings and to seek help if they need it. Same is true for parents and children. Um, it is extremely important that we create a safe space for kids to be able to talk about what they're experiencing, whether they're experiencing bullying in school, uh, whether they're uncertain about their sexuality, any challenges that our young people face. Uh, parents need to be willing to create a safe space uh, without judgment for them to share what their feelings are and then to try to help them to navigate those feelings. Very good points, and I appreciate you sharing that, Victor, because as I'm listening to you, I guess the next obvious question will be, how do we even get the conversation started? So it's, it, it, it in some ways is, is difficult, but it's difficult from the standpoint of getting out of our own comfort zone, I think. It's, it's not so complex a conversation to have mm-hmm. because it is simply asking the questions and then allowing the space for the answer right. uh, and, and being non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, and my wife does this more with my, my young boys than I do, um, because that's, that's just kind of what happens, I think, in a lot of households, the, the um, um, moms just are incredible about creating that safe haven for kids to have conversations. Uh, but we try to talk to our sons about um, what they're experiencing, what they're feeling. How was your day in school? Was there anything mm-hmm. that you want to talk about? Um, we pick our sons up uh, from school every day. The first question is, tell me four things that happened at school today, good or bad, and then talk about those things mm-hmm. and how they experienced mm-hmm. those things. And that gives them the space um, to be able to talk about whatever it is they're feeling. And then if it's something that, uh, you know, where they're talking about being bullied or something negative that happened, uh, try not to be reactive, but to talk to them about how did you how did you feel about that? How did you navigate mm-hmm. that? Um um, how, how did you uh, respond to that? Did you talk to anyone else about it? And really help them to learn how to process those thoughts and process those feelings. Uh, and I think that that is, is so key. But it starts with just creating the space mm-hmm. for conversation. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes in adult relationships, it can be as simple as saying, I noticed that you're, um, you're not going to the gym as much as you used to. to, used to. You're, not, you're not getting out and getting exercise. You don't seem to smile or laugh as much as you used to. Is there something going on? You, do you want to talk about something? And I think the most important question, though, and one that is very difficult for a lot of people to ask, if you think someone is suicidal, uh, we are often afraid to intervene because we right. have this, there's a myth that someone is not thinking about suicide if you put that thought in their head by asking them about it. And that is simply not true. Um, you don't make someone suicidal by asking them if they're thinking about killing themselves. Um, but you may save their life if you ask them, because what research shows is that by giving them that space to talk about their feelings, it validates them. Um, so I do encourage people that if you think someone is showing signs of wanting to, to kill themselves, doing things like giving their possessions away or talking about not wanting to be here anymore, adult or child, uh, if you see um, uh all of a sudden mood swings and they used to be very upbeat all of a sudden now is withdrawn or the opposite someone who's usually withdrawn is all of a sudden very uh, upbeat or you see someone uh, suddenly start to abuse drugs or alcohol don't be afraid to ask them are you thinking about killing yourself mm-hmm. um and i don't even i don't even ask them are you thinking about hurting yourself because oftentimes the answer to that might be no because they're not thinking about hurting themselves they're thinking about ending their life Right. Um, so I do encourage people to ask the question 
but the most important thing is whatever the response is, don't be judgmental. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't make it about you, but right. give that person space to talk about what they're feeling and then try to get them help if they need it. And I like how you word that, Victor, because, you know, I think sometimes we may generally take for granted that that's such a, a cliche type of phrase. Well, how are you doing? You know, it's like, well, why do they want to know how I'm doing? There are genuine, genuine people that really want to know. So just as you mentioned, everything in which you may be noticing these subtle changes, that's really sending a signal to us that we want to be that support group for that individual. We want to reach out. When I genuinely ask you how you're doing, just feel free to, to say what is on your mind. And I think that does help open not only the dialogue on the subject matter, I think it really allows that person to really let you know how they're feeling, whether it's emotionally, whether it's mentally, whatever the case may be. And it's like you said, sometimes we just need to listen. And sometimes we may not even have the words to to really express what we can do to help. But I think with some people, they're appreciative when you just lend a listening ear, when you just hear their cries, because a lot of times they may not have that outlet with which they can talk to someone because we're, we're just such a busy oriented society that I really, you know, a lot of times I have to remind myself, take the time to just slow down, and to, you know, call up family and friends, check up on them to see how they're doing. And, of course, this was something that we should have been doing way before this pandemic came into the picture. The importance of really checking in on the wellness of our loved ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, that that is one of the one of the things that, you know, we, we talk a lot about and we talked about since the beginning of the pandemic. You, you, you know, we're all in this together. Right. Um, but we need to put that into practice. Um, I try to make it a practice. In my day is Tuesdays. Every Tuesday, mm-hmm. I try to uh, usually I'll, I'll pick people from my my contact list in my phone, and I'll text them or uh, or call someone I had called a long time and just say, "Hey, I'm just checking in. Just uh, just want to see what's see, going exactly. on with you. How, how are you doing?" Right, right. Um, and then you know, oftentimes when you ask someone how they're doing, especially if you're concerned about them, mm-hmm. even if they say, "I'm fine." Uh, there's an opportunity to say, well, you know, I, I notice you you usually greet me with a smile or you usually just sound more upbeat. Right, Is there something right. going on that you want to talk about? Exactly. Because what you want them to hear in your voice and in your response is you matter. Exactly. You matter. Exactly. Your life matters. And, right. and I'm here to listen um, and to be a support to you, whatever you're going through. Very true. Victor, thank you so much. As again, I want to welcome you, Radio Family, to the weekend edition of Community Focus Heard on our Odyssey stations. Again, engaging conversation every weekend. We have a different topic of discussion today. We are really spotlighting the importance and the need of having conversations such as this on mental health and on mental wellness. And again, it is such a pleasure to have a member of our Community Focus family back with us, the Deputy Secretary for Health Equity and the Chief Health Equity Officer of the Department of Health and Human Services in one, Victor Armstrong. Victor, I want to switch gears here a a little bit. Um, Where can, if one does need additional information about, and share with us a little bit, if you can, clinical trials on this particular subject matter? 
There's a lot of information on the CDC website. I think the CDC website is is a good one-stop shop because Mm -hmm. it provides a wealth of information. If you want statistics, you can find them there. If you're looking for information about clinical trials, you can find it on the CDC website. Uh, There's also uh, a lot of information, particularly particularly around mental health and and substance use, uh, on the the SAMHSA website, uh, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration website, which is a federal website dedicated to uh, behavioral health. So there's a lot of information there. Uh, One of the things I I would say, though, while we're on the subject of clinical trials, is that uh, one of one of the challenges I think that we face as people of color in in dealing with our mental wellness is that, and this is part of the, the challenge I think for a lot of people when they engage in treatment, engage engage in therapy, is that a lot of the historical research um, on mental health and mental wellness really has not included Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no indication that the medication necessarily reacts differently on Black people as opposed to white people, mm-hmm. but there are challenges in uh, therapy. And so I encourage people when they're when they're picking a, a clinician, uh, think about it as you know this is your health. Um, so I encourage people of color if you're concerned about whether someone really understands uh, the nuance of race and, and culture and ethnicity as it pertains to your mental wellness or the importance of uh, your faith in how it incorporates uh, into your mental wellness. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. Ask the clinician what what because there there are not a not a lot of black clinicians out there. There's something like, we look at psychiatrists, something like uh, 2% of psychiatrists in, in America are black and 4% of psychologists. Uh, and so while there are black clinicians out there, I do encourage people to ask their clinician, what is, what is your experience in dealing with um, a black person? Uh, what are your views on how race and culture should be a part of my treatment? Uh, what, have you, what things have you done in the area of cultural competency? So I think there's two pieces to that. There's the clinical trials that are out there, but there's also the practical um, things around treatment and, and how have uh, people really tried to, to utilize um, the that intersectionality and lived experience of people that they work with and, and that they encounter to, to really build on their skill set in dealing with uh, people of color. Excellent, Victor. And I do believe I have time for for one more question. Might squeeze in two. We'll see how it goes. But uh, another thing that I wanted to get uh, either clarification on or to help our, our radio audience and our radio family. Now, this you should be very familiar with because this is your area of expertise. But I've heard of a psychiatric advance directive. What is that and how can a person obtain more information on that? So a psychiatric, psychiatric advanced directive, or PADS, as people often call them, is, is much like a medical directive. It says this is what should happen in the event that I experience a mental health crisis. Um, it can contain information like, and it can be very simple. It doesn't have to be a, an elaborate document. It can be handwritten. But um, this is who my provider is. This is what medication works for me. Uh, this is what doesn't work for me. This is my preference. And they have preferences. It does not mean that if you have a psychiatric emergency that they're going to do exactly what you say. You could put in your psychiatric advance directive, if I'm ever uh, homicidal, give me chocolate milk. doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen, but it is you have an opportunity to state these are the things that I, I think will work and support me. And perhaps most importantly, uh, being able to say these are the people that can, mm-hmm. can help support me. So. I, I encourage psychi- psychiatric advanced directives because I think it does give people the uh, the opportunity to 
to really have a say in their treatment. It is That's something right. you want to do when you're not in a state of crisis, right. Right. Uh, but you want to have available if you should experience some type of mental health emergency. You can talk with your medical provider about, uh, about psychiatric advanced directives. Uh, in North Carolina, uh, National Alliance of Mental Illness has been very involved in initiatives around establishing psychiatric advanced directives. You can find um, information um, there. Uh, so there are a number of places that you can, can inquire about it. If you go into um, a hospital setting and you have a psychiatric advanced directive, you want to make them aware that you do have a psychiatric advanced directive. It's even good to have a copy of it um, with you or have someone else have a copy of it um, if, um, if it should ever, if the need should ever arise. But, but I do encourage, especially for people, if you or someone you know um, do live with mental health challenges, and I, I like to use the term mental health challenges as opposed to mental illness. Some people um, uh, look at that differently. Right. Uh, but if you, are, if you or someone you know live with mental health challenges, I, I think it behooves you to have a psychiatric advance directed. Well, thank you very much, uh, Victor. I guess my final question of the day is, is there anything that in the remaining minutes we have on the program, anything that I didn't cover that you would like to, to bring to our conversation? I, I think you've covered most of it. But one, one of the things I, I would say is that we need to spell the myth that black people don't die by suicide because we do. It is, it is currently the third leading cause of death for 20, 15 to 24-year-old um, African-American males. Uh, one of the other things I think that is worth noting is that uh, of all the all the the, the African uh, American suicides uh, in the country, um, about eighty percent of those are black men. And mm-hmm. so we talk a lot about the things that kill black men. We talk about high blood pressure, diabetes. We talk about police violence. We don't talk about suicide. Right. Um, it is something we definitely need to talk about. But I, but I think the thing that I would end with is. Uh, I just encourage everyone to keep the channels of communication open and be direct with people that you love, and especially if you're with your children. Right. Um, right. And, and normalize their experiences. Reassure them um, that there are no taboo thoughts, and no, there's no shame in uh, feeling vulnerable. There's no shame in feeling anxious. There's no shame in feeling afraid. And then whenever you have those conversations, listen to their distress and try to stay calm no matter what the other person says. Avoid appearing shocked or judgmental, um, and then just try to take a, a collaborative approach to um, how to solve it. Don't dictate to them what they should do. Um, say to them, I'm sorry that you're in pain, sorry that you're experiencing this pain. I want to be helpful. Let's think about the best way to get you to that help. And, and Victor, that says to me that if we haven't started, there is no better time like the present to have that daily wellness check. If it's not every single day, have it as often as you can. And I personally want to thank you that we were able to get together yet again and have another great conversation. You are family here on Community Focus. So you're welcome. You are so welcome. So anytime you want to continue our conversation, whether on this topic or others, you know how to reach out to me. And, And just thank you for taking the time. And and doing what you do. Absolutely, Victor. And I thank you, too, Radio Family. You are doing some incredible things in our communities. You know i got to shine the spotlight on you, in addition to wonderful members of our community-focused family, such as Victor Armstrong. So we will bring to a close another engaging and very informative conversation. You have been listening to the weekend edition of Community Focus. As I always say and sign off, 
please, first and foremost, stay safe, take care, and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Until that next time, no goodbyes, everyone. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.